0: Welcome back to the non-standard 14-er podcast, the podcast that brings you everything the root description leaves out about hiking and climbing Colorado's 14-ers. I'm Jacer Jack, and I'm joined here with Short Rope Stifler. Hey. My beautiful wife, Tay Jack. Hello. Sean Adrian, also known as the Exiled Michigander. How's it going? Good to join you. And our guest today is Sean O'Day, otherwise known as Dogler. And uh, he is an accomplished mountain runner. He's a centennial finisher and uh, high school cross-country coach, all-around super knowledgeable and humble guy, really fun to talk to. Um, so thanks, Sean, for being on the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Mount Yale and uh, all the various ways that all of us have approached it, climbed it, some memories on it, and as well as some uh, kind of funny stories, or at least we think they're funny. <laughs> and we're, we're going to be talking about ultra running a little bit, as well as type two fun and getting into a little bit of heavier subject matter toward the end. So thanks everybody for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hey,
1: um, my first question is is this a beer-friendly podcast? Whiskey almost going whiskey
2: in our <laughs> in our 14er Cheers. glasses. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. So Dogler, Yeah. So we, we started this podcast what almost two years ago, a year and a half ago. Uh I finished the 14ers in 19. jace's 7 is short trying to finish this year we are spending a lot of time driving late nights on 285 and 70 and telling stories and talking 14 ers and we're like "This just like we should just record this and see what it comes up with and so we've kind of started doing like peak specific episodes and then we've moved into some interviews with some cool people
1: and then you move it on to that to, to whatever whatever yeah, you got going tonight it so
0: we're doing we're back to doing <laughs> peak specific episodes now with cool <laughs> people cool people yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> And so I was. we wanted to
2: go back to our bread and butter doing a peak specific episode. And so yeah. Jace and Taylor did it from Denny's Creek. Uh, Sean yep. and I did it in January from Avalanche Gulch. Yep. And I figured we need to get someone who's done it from either um, Silver Creek or has done the C- Cranky Lake uh, what that Northwest Ridge. And yep. So I stumbled upon you by, by searching the forums looking for, uh, I just typed in advanced search in Yale, Yale uh, trip reports and had Cranky Lake and yours popped up your your giant loop of mascot peak popped up yep and reached out to you and i, I was joking with these guys I, I reached out to several people and they, a lot of people are like yeah i'm not an expert i don't want to join your podcast but i was like the first word you said was hell yes i'll join the podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah cheers to so that cheers so to that.
1: so here we go everyone's everyone's enjoying a drink
0: yeah
1: everyone here likes mountains we got to talk about them so uh I think this is the right place, man.
2: Yeah. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the ethos of our podcast.
1: Yeah. There you go. So how did you, when did you
2: finish the 14 ers How'd you start? Where?
1: Yeah, I, I finished um, September 11th, 2010 with a massive costume party on beer stats oh, how that, that resulted in, let's see. We we gosh, I, I wonder how many hundreds of people we sent down that mountain that needed that time getting down the mountain to sober up. It got bad. <laughs> yeah, Chris Holeb, CrossFitter, I don't think he posts much on the dot com much anymore, but he made a deal with me. He he needed someone to come with him to finish on capital the next day. So I said, you bring up uh Pony keg or something like that on Bierstadt, and I'll come with you the next hand, capital And that's exactly how it went down. Perfect. That's a good trend. Oh, wow. Yeah. He and a couple of his buddies, they dressed up as a rope team, a Himalayan rope team. Yeah. And so, like, they're going up Bierstadt. Like, oh, yeah, that's
3: it's, that's awesome. you, you tied one on on Bierstadt, and then the next day you went and climbed Capitol.
1: Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Damn, that's impressive. Yeah. That's it was awesome. it was it was a good yeah, that was a great weekend. I remember the there were two bluebird days in a row. I had uh, that was my second time on Capitol. I, I it was already one of my favorite mountains. It's just so fun. And we had a couple guys and then we had four of us go up for Chris's and you know, we got enough sleep in the trailhead. And yeah, it was it was just <laughs> beautiful days, beautiful weekend.
2: Did you have some of your family members at all? Or is that why you saved beer stud for an easier one? Or your finisher?
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of wanted to make a mockery of all the people who get all panties in a bunch when, when you're heading up, I don't know, like what would be a good example, like Tory's Peak and they're looking for like that wilderness experience. And so I was like, you know, how, how can I, how can I stick it to that guy more than, than just every single person, you know, they're dressed up and everyone had to bring something to the top of the mountain that just didn't belong. <laughs> and that's what Chris brought the 73 pound keg. Oh I had a friend. Full. Full
0: oh oh huh? It guy. was it was
1: full. It was 73 pounds. <laughs> we we had a guy bring up we had a guy bring up an aluminum trash can. <laughs> we had twister, we had a, a boombox with ray, with batteries at work for about an hour. <laughs> I I brought up a radio flyer wagon we used that we used it on the descent till we busted it yeah there were there were, that was, that was a good day it was a good day and i think uh, there were a couple couple other dot comers i i think uh, noel uh, cookie hiker okay, that was yeah. her first 14er her very first 14er and she's like people have parties on 14ers <laughs> i'm going to do another one it's all uh,
0: downhill after that <laughs>
1: yeah yeah And, uh, I'm a, I I taught sixth grade at the time and I shared with, with my class, you know, like, you know, share and tell like, Hey, what'd you guys do this weekend? And I was like, I finally got around finishing the 14ers and I climbed Mount beer stat. And one of these kids, it's like, Oh my God, you were on beer stat. Did you see the party with all the beer? (laughs) Like it was right in front of all of my kids.
2: (laughs) Would you say no? (laughs)
1: i said yeah i saw it's pretty crazy next (laughs) we just moved on that's amazing
4: oh what a fun party
1: that's awesome that you did it
3: right and you finished on something that you could do that on because like i did everything wrong in terms of (laughs) finishing (laughs) it was like chicago basin where nobody wants to go i was amazed that so many people went with me but it's like right That's not like having to do it over again. That's not what I would have finished on. And that's where Jace, like Jace is planning on finishing on handy's. It's like accessible, beautiful. Like like you can't ask for a better peak to finish on in some ways. (laughs) I think that's like, and I was I didn't have the foresight to like plan which one I would finish on. So I did all the the low-hanging fruit. Do I want to finish on Capital or Maroon
0: or you
1: know, YOLIS? What's it gonna be? Right. (laughs) Well, was there a point where like you didn't know that you were, I, I mean, I think for many of us, you don't know that that's a goal until you're, Hey, look at that. Maybe, maybe I should do this. And for others, it's like, no, I was born to finish the 14ers. I, I, I don't know. Like there seems to be a pretty wide range of, of people, but I know it wasn't on my radar. Like I'd say after the first 15, 20 peaks, I remember when uh talus monkey yeah. yeah. It is his little mishap. And I was just starting to get into climbing peaks at that time. I'd finally done like one class three. And, and I mean, I just assumed that, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm not a mountain climber, professional. No, I'm not going to finish the 14 ers I'm just going to climb some of them. And when I reached the point where of my competence, I'm done. And, you know, just one thing led to another and there you go. I mean, Seems like that that seems to be the case for, for, for a decent amount of folks.
0: We've kind of discussed that in the group and, and coined the term like our watershed moment. And for some people, it's like a particular number that you reach that breakover point. For some people, it's a certain peak. Um, for me, I had gotten up there a number, but it wasn't until we did Little Bear that I'm like, okay, the rest are kind of within my reach. And Taylor's getting close there where she's kind of turned the corner of like, I'm
4: at 30. She's
0: at 30. And she's done a bunch of repeats, but she's like, maybe, maybe like it's within reach, and she's never discussed that as a as a goal. She's gonna beat you. I know she'll. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, that's, so
1: Taylor, what's what's the what's the most challenging one you've got under your belt?
4: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, um, probably, I did Crestone Peak and I did Crestone Needle in one day
0: without the traverse individually, right?
4: And so that was for me really difficult. More from just an exhaustion standpoint, less from a exposure standpoint. Right. Um, so I don't assuming know. you guys
1: stayed in uh, South Colony, not Cottonwood?
4: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, big day.
4: Yes, big it was day. a big day. Um, all I knew is that Broken Hand Pass was not my friend and that I didn't want to do that a second day. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've done the, the backpack into Capitol Lake and watched him climb capital. And uh, that's one that I think if I were to climb a mountain like that, then maybe I would have a watershed of, okay, I could do this. But. I kind
0: of had that moment for you though, when we did the peak and needle, it was like 7,500 vert in one day. We did like 7,500 vert in one day and I had done capital the week before. And I'm like, babe, if you, if you did this, you have capital in the bag. You got to watch the rock a little bit more, but you could totally do that. So we're, we're kind of there, I think.
4: Who knows? Maybe I'll have my watershed moment this summer. Who knows?
3: Yeah, Taylor, you're there. Like, so when Stifler told me that you guys, you guys had done Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle together in the same day, I was like, shit, they did the traverse. And he's like, and I was like, so like so impressed. You guys did the traverse. And he's like, no, they didn't. <laughs> and it's like. Holy shit, like you did them both separately in the
0: same day. Like, that's even more impressive. Oh,
4: thank you. If you can handle
0: that. And you know what? Was the crazy Like There were a bunch of people on the top of Crestone Peak that were, granted, not super equipped to do the traverse, but there's a lot of bravado on the top of peak. Like, hey, are you guys going for the traverse? And there were a bunch of groups that took off at the same time as we were going back down the peak. And they were just descending the needle as we were summiting. So it was only maybe 45 minute different, most, maybe a half hour. So,
1: And that's if you get the route finding right. Yeah, totally. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah.
4: And there was a search and rescue group up there rescuing people off of the traverse. Yeah. When we so were climbing it.
1: Out. Yeah. One of those groups. Of
4: course. And we're like, oh, are they in Nikes? That's weird. We probably saw them.
1: <laughs> it's Yeah. You get into some interesting terrain pretty quickly. That lower part of the needle is, uh, and I think maybe the scary part is that so much of that terrain west of the West Gully is difficult, but not quite difficult enough to be very clearly off route, you know, Mm -hmm. until you're a little too late. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Really
4: good point. Well, speaking of ones that are not like needle at all. Yale.
0: Oh, I was gonna ask Sean
2: oh. what his break is, oh, so he, oh, yeah. he dodged the question. He asked you first and then <laughs> it. What, what's the question? What was it? What was uh, Dogler's watershed moment?
1: I don't know if I don't know if there was one in particular, but I I, I think after climbing the peak in the needle in, in July of maybe 07, Started to think, okay, so like this is as technical as they get, and now we just got to add the loose rock. Well, I'm not into the loose rock thing. And then maybe the next year it was pyramid. Mm. And once I climbed pyramid, I'm like, okay, I think this covers most of it. That was well within my comfort zone. Yeah, we'll we'll keep rocking these things out, and somewhere in there, like I started not wanting to be the the guy, the the List checker offer, and so, like, I tried to prolong the whole hey, I'm finishing the 14ers and like move on to other things, but let's face it, like, there's a goal inside, it's kind of nice to achieve it, regardless of the optics. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would say it was probably somewhere along the way, a pyramid, which was maybe about my 30th, 32nd, where it's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. actually, I, I am an ABCer, I have not climbed Calabra, ah,
2: so. All but Cleb, right? That's what ABC. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, oh, okay. correct. And I also, I've had no interest to poach because I believe, you know, if you own something, you have certain rights that I'm going to respect. At the same time, I'm not thrilled about voting with you know, my money for uh, further privatiz- privatization of those peaks. So, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah. Hey,
3: kick this guy off the podcast. He didn't do Cleb, <laughs> <laughs>
0: John, uh, Sh- Sean, Adrian, did you have a kind of watershed moment? Do you remember it? Mine
3: came relatively early. So I did Gray's and Tories were my first and second 14ers. And then I did Bierstadt and Evans, via the Sawtooth. And then my fifth was Long's Peak. Mm. And I was nervous as hell going into Long's Peak. I, you know, you see these statistics, the number of people who died on Long's Peak and, you know, looking back, you know, Long's Peak, I think it's not that bad compared to a lot of the other ones, but like the numbers of deaths had had me like freaked out a little bit. And so when I did Long's Peak, it was like this, like, like big uh, leap of faith for me mm. to go from like, you know, Gray's, Tories, Bierstadt Evans, and then Long's Peak. Mm. And then when I did Long's Peak, it's like, well, shit, this is one of the most dangerous 14ers in Colorado I might as well just do them all now because mm-hmm. there's only, you know, there's only that many more that are, are as dangerous as long as P. Mm-hmm. So mine came pretty early. I was pretty committed, you know, quite soon after I started. And that was, that was the summer of 2010. So it was a long time ago. What
4: about you, Chris?
2: I, I'm similar to Dogler's story. Started out doing like the class two ones, not knowing, you know, there's probably 35 I can do easily, safely. And then we did the uh, long watershed moment was where our trip, we did Snowmass and North Maroon. So Sean and I parked at with Snowmass Lake, hiked in, camped by Snowmass, did Snowmass the next day, which is scary. It was on my scary list. People die on that mountain. What what month? Uh, it was not enough. We t- we had crampons and was, we were able to take the Snowfield almost to the summit and avoid kind of that nasty ridge that, that was people. Late July just, that we did it. I believe so, but there was enough snow on that Snowmass that. Camp another day, next day we hiked across Buckskin Pass, part of the four pass loop and camped right high, high camp right by the boulder field to North Maroon. And so uh, then safely got new North Maroon. The next day, our buddy Patrick came up, met us at four in the morning. He came up from Maroon Lake, safely to North Maroon, went down and he shuttled us, shuttled us back to, to a snowmass lake trailhead. So that was my watershed. Checked off two dangerous ones that made me nervous.
0: How many miles was that? I'm not sure.
3: It's a big day. It's eight
2: miles in just a snowmass lake, and
3: then the views were amazing. Like that whole weekend, that was like a magical weekend because like the flowers were in bloom. Like there was still snow on the mountains, so you got that like feeling of ranger from the snow on the high peaks, and yeah, that was that was pretty epic weekend. And then the fact that like. We had no intention that Patrick would ever be able to coordinate with us to get to North Maroon, so it's like you know, it just seemed like such a pipe dream. Like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wake up at 4 a.m. and if you're there, you can hike North Maroon with us. We like woke up, had like a cup of coffee, and we see this headlamp coming up the ridge. And hey, is that you, Patrick? Yeah, it's me.
4: Oh, that's and we, perfect. You know, I was like,
3: sweet. Like everything worked out. Like it's very rare that you have the logistics worked out to that level of yeah. specificity and like everything worked out that weekend. It was pretty cool.
0: That is cool. D- I, had, I had no question. I was just saying, I'm excited to get back to our roots on a peak specific episode.
2: Our off route jingle a couple of times yeah. yeah.
4: This discussion, Mr. Karen, we're way off trail. We're on the wrong path. The talk is starting to derail. The convo is now in the wrong basin totally off route so let's get it back to the mountain that this podcast is all about
0: no nah, that was good off route
2: found <laughs> some value there
4: yeah for sure
2: so what how, what compels you to run the whole loop around uh, around mascot do Yale in a giant one-day circle
1: yeah right on um at that point in time I was kind of trying to marry the two worlds that I was living in, which was that of like a mountain runner, ultra runner, and that of a guy who like just loved climbing peaks. And that year I'd said, so I'd, I, I, whatever the endeavor has been, I think I've always been pretty patient. Like I've known that I was going to be able to finish 14 ers Well, before I ever did like a couple of years, like, Oh yeah, I'll get around to it. I've got it. It's not a problem. I'll get there same thing with 50 mile distance rounds. like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to compete, complete and compete well in 50 mile distance. I got that. And then I had always kind of thought the same way about hundred mile distance. And with, with the people I hung out with, at least my runner friends down here in the Springs, it was just kind of, well, go out, you do Leadville, you get that thing out of the way and then you move on to like the crazy ones.
2: She, so done the yeah, right I,
1: Well, we're getting there. I, I have, uh, well, I'll skip right to that point. I'm 0 for 1 at that distance, <laughs> and I'll probably die 0 for 1 at that distance. But I was training for Leadville that summer, and some of my quote unquote training just happened to be hey, let's spend some days up high, you know. And my son, I have a sophomore in high school now, and his mom and I, I think we got divorced when he's like two. So, like it, 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 it by then, it had been five or six years of. He was with me during the school year. And then as soon as the school year would end, I'd bring him to DIA, he'd fly off to Minneapolis and had a summer to go play. And I tried to make my very first day of, I don't wanna call it freedom, cause you know, <laughs> the fact that I get to spend most of my time with my son was awesome. And I, I wouldn't change that for the world, but I used to try and make sure that that day was like some sort of epic, you know, just big celebratory thing. And I think just the idea of, you know, maybe, gosh, what would be one where I could actually run a little bit of it, spend a lot of time just moving time on my feet that, that would kind of kick the bucket of doing, you know, like a long run, something like, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with Leadville course. It goes over Hope Pass, uh, not once, but twice. And
2: what's the elevation? Shirt,
1: Yeah, Hope Pass, I want to say tops out of like 12.5 or 12.6, and you're coming at it from both sides at just under 10. Uh, I think from Twin Lakes is what? Twin Lakes, maybe like 94, and then Winfield area, you're just at 10,000. So when you do that double pass, like that's a decent amount of vert, and it feels a lot like the lower parts of Name Your Sawatch Peak. So, hey, why don't I go up and around and do a new? route on Yale that that had been something even when I was doing the 14 and I was, I was trying to do more of was hey is there a more interesting way to do this one uh, as a matter of fact there you go I, I don't know if I'd mentioned it when I was corresponding with you earlier but again on those bucket of goals you know the hey if I get around to it type things it was, was I want to say that I've been up every 14er in more than one way and I think I'm somewhere around 35 or 40 of them now uh Yale the uh, that was kind of a side goal was hey that'll take care of that piece if I go up by cranky or cronky or whatever lake I, I still have only read that word uh the first time I've ever heard someone say it was was when you just said it earlier so
2: thank you hey, don't don't count me though I, I say castle bra and I say silo vista <laughs> ranch and I'm not supposed
0: to wrong. Taylor worked for cronky so what how is it
1: yeah,
0: cranky cranky
1: Cronky. Cronky. cranky cranky yeah. cranky. Yeah, I was. I think I went around calling it creestone peak when I first moved here. So yeah.
2: <laughs> we climbed Tabaguchi
1: the other Oh my gosh, <laughs> nice! But no, that one just seemed to be like, oh yeah, I could run all the way around that thing and spend a few miles actually running. And hey, I think that ridge goes pretty well. and. Haven't done that. I'll come down the standard route. Uh, I, I i have a confession to make. My original agenda that day was once I got to uh the the what do you call that where the CT crests on the East Ridge. Is that Brown's Pass there? Or? I can't remember the name of that pass. So you join the East, to,
2: East Ridge there of Yale.
1: Yes, I wanted to go up at a second time. Oh wow! Because that would have that would have you know sealed the deal and. Uh, let's just say I was pretty tired.
2: <laughs>
1: and did you, did you, park, yeah.
2: did you park at the standard for, for Horn Fork for where Harvard
1: starts? A little lower. So where Silver Creek comes out, which I want to say is about a mile and a half, two miles further down the road.
2: So you parked your car and then hiked, ran the, the regular trailhead back to where Harvard starts. You start up, kind of horn Fork and then turn left and splits off toward Cranky. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep, because the standard route for Harvard essentially splits right, I believe, and and the uh, way up to Kronke goes straight ish. Okay. And then, yeah, everything was really straightforward to the lakes there. And then by the time you got up there, you were almost above tree line, fine ridge. Was it bad? Scree, scree, scree bad at all? Was it-, it was very, yeah, it was, it was just a pretty normal, mellow ridge. There was, there was not much talus hopping at all, I'd say the way you finish Yale on the standard route actually had, I mean, there was nothing like that anywhere on that ridge. It was pretty clean the whole way. Lots of, you know, just yeah. Mellow. Like there was a little bit of talus, but a lot, a lot of little, little grass and and all that growing there. Yeah. It was pleasant. I had no complaints.
0: A rookie question. We trail run, but nothing near what you do. Are you running at that point? Or is there a point where you kind of break into a trot or
1: a walk? Oh, it was, <laughs> I was just, I, in advance of coming in here, I, I looked back at my, my GPS tracks and I saw that there was, I think my fastest mile, cause I had it going off every mile just to track it, uh, except for the paved miles, like going downhill from what is that from Denny Creek to Avalanche. I think my fastest mile up to that was like maybe 10, 15, which was maybe mostly running with some trotting in there. Most of it's walking.
0: That's running for me. Yeah, that running. is run, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs>
4: absolutely running.
1: Uh, if, if you, <laughs> fun fact, the the Pike's Peak ascent marathon. You guys are probably familiar with that one, right? I want to say on a normal year about two thousand people complete the ascent, and the number of people who do not walk any of it at all—in other words, like run and or jog walk all of it—is under twenty. Okay. Wow. <sighs> Oh, so you know there's some pretty strong runners finishing 25th overall you know like the third overall female type people that's that's like world class on the female side and they are walking some of that race so
0: and that's just I mean, part of the, the calculation Running, here. yeah that's part of the, like the the skill and the kind of game that comes into ultra running as i understand it is like when to walk and because i'm i'm a spectator i've like you know read read the books and listened to the podcasts and stuff but i've obviously never done one and that's part of it like and don't
1: don't it's stupid don't do <laughs> no it. i'm <laughs>
0: not built like an ultra runner i'm a built <laughs> player so i like to watch it and I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do but like in board to run they talk about if you can't see the top then you're walking and does that kind of hold true
1: There's definitely an internal like pacing mechanism that we all develop. I mean, everyone here has you, you kind of, you know, you spend enough time doing any sort of endurance activity, whether it's climbing mountains, running stupid miles, cycling, you, you learn eventually, you know, what your capabilities are and, and, you know, (laughs) Hey, how do I want to arrive back at the trailhead in one piece? Okay. I'm going to be a little mellow here. Oh, Hey, I know that I've got some help at, you know, like, there's a lake there where I can re- you know get some water and play the Giardia lottery if I want to. <laughs> cool. I'm gonna push it a little harder. I don't know, like you, you just develop those senses. And it's not just like ultra runners, it's like all of us do. It's just maybe translated to a different level. And I think the big difference there is the less weight you carry, the faster you can go. The faster you can go, the less weight you want to carry. And it's oh, like this it's a cycle. I, I see it play out very clearly like in, in through hiking,
3: hmm.
1: like Colorado trail and, and such, you know, if you're managing to get by with 15 to 20 pounds, you know, you'll be a little cold at night, but you're going to be able to cover 25, 30, 35 miles in a day without feeling beat up. The second you're carrying a 40 pound pack, you're stuck to like 15 mile days and hating life and, then you're like, oh, man, if I'm going to take this long, I better bring a camping chair to be comfortable. and You know, like it, 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 you get pushed in the direction that you're it already in yeah. yeah, like weight yeah. begets
4: weight. <laughs> are, are, yeah.
3: are you saying I shouldn't bring my waffle iron when I, <laughs> he's, when I do the long he's, route on a 14-er? Nor the Sean, glass
0: jug of wine. Yeah, Sean nor, is the exact opposite nor the
4: martini show. shaker <laughs> and the pickled olives, which I so pretty appreciated at Gibson at the top of that ice climb, but I love you, but we didn't need
2: it. Yeah, the exiled Michigander Uh, is the exact opposite. We needed (laughs) it.
3: It's amazing how you can get by with, you know, you can struggle with the necessities of life as long as you have little luxuries like pickled olives. uh, You
4: even had vermouth. (laughs) He
0: had martini. No, you got to have vermouth. (laughs) Why wouldn't you You, have vermouth? (laughs) The exiled Michigander is he won't go in a tent. It's a gamble whether or not he'll even bring his bivy sack. But you can bet he'll bring his pipe and a flask of whiskey. Jar of <laughs> wine.
1: <laughs> hey, man Nice. I was gonna say you would have been more than welcome to come to the top of beer stat back in 2010. <laughs> it would have fitted just fine.
3: Well that that route that you took, you know, I'm looking at Caltopo Tapo right now. It's somewhat like the, the the prettiest terrain in all of Colorado, though. Like. Like I couldn't do it. I could not have done what you've done. Like I mean, that's that's way too much running for me, man. That's that's pretty like the inspiration that you get from it. At least
1: can carry you a little
3: ways, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Ooh, there's 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 another piece to this, and shame on me for not remembering. But I had another ulterior motive for that route. So you guys are familiar with Nolan's? Mm Yeah. Yes that community that kind of, there's a Venn diagram of ultra runners and mountain people and it doesn't overlap with that much. Hmm. And when, when it does, those coming from the ultra background are little, uh, how should I say cavalier about what they're doing? Hmm. I found, and that has sometimes made me nervous traveling, you know, on some higher peaks and more technical peaks with some of the guys that like have the endurance to do a lot of things. Cause you know, like the, the Brit Jones and and Steve Gladbachs and all of them, like they've put something right back here in the back of my head. It's like, you know, being alive is good (laughs) and being smart is good. And staying within your capabilities is good. And, you know, that kind of conflicts with like a little bit of ultra runner mentality, which is, you know what I, every fiber of my being tells me I should just be done right now, but I can't. And, you know, that's kind of a dangerous mindset to, be in when you're on even I wouldn't even say technical terrain, but even like semi technical, like, you're, you're always one slip one fall away from being in an interesting situation. And, you know, I guess that's always thing you try and put in your head is okay, so let's just say I twist this ankle pretty badly. I'm solo. How do I feel about crawling eight miles back to the trailhead? (laughs) Sure. Am I down with an overnight? Yeah. Okay. If I am, okay, cool. But you know, that's definitely part of the calculus. Anyway, sorry, back to the, the Nolan's thing, uh, Gavin McKenzie and Brandon Stepanowicz and I had been kind of scouting some things out to, to go for a possible bid. They ended up successfully doing it uh, the following year. I'd broken my foot by then and I started getting fat and old pretty quickly and uh, watched them do what they were able to. But that loop allowed me to scout out another portion of what probably or could have been a potential uh route up nolan's and i mean things have gotten more dialed in where very few of the guys that do it take different routes anymore but you know 10 11 years ago there were still i'd say five six seven different decision points where huh. gosh you could go east ridge and pop back down you know like avalanche or you could take Cronky and like just having the experience of seeing a lot of that. I was just trying to like build that repository up and, and see more of it. So, yeah, I I'd forgotten that that was one of the things in the back of my head, like why I'd chosen to go up that way.
0: Hmm. How many miles total and how much vert? If I don't have the trip report in front of me right
1: now. Right. I'm trying to think here. I got it right here. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It's 24 and a half miles. And it's only, Is that right? It's only 7,500 feet. I mean, that's not extreme. Does that sound right? It's basically a full ascent and a half. Yeah, that'd be right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
0: Big day. What? Just
2: asking about the headspace of an ultra marathon. Do you get in like flow states where miles just fly by and you kind of get into like a flow where an endorphin rush and you can just, how do do you get there? (laughs) Teach
1: us. How do you get there? I don't, again, that, that Venn diagram of, of between ultra running and, and, you know, mountaineering or whatever you call what we do. It, it seems for me like to have the same psychological effect, you know, just go for a long run and long run in the city is okay. But like long run in the mountains, there's just, as you said, flow.
4: Mm.
1: Spends 10, 12, 14, 18, however many stupid hours just moving forward in the mountains, that's not that different. Like, you still kind of get the same thing. You get highs, you get lows. Uh, I I can distinctly remember so many low, low, low lows. Uh, You you talk about North Maroon a little earlier, that stupid rock glacier. That's one of the worst places on Earth. I'm sorry. That place is horrible. (laughs) Uh, maybe I've been jaded because I've only ever come down North Maroon I've, I've traversed from south a couple times uh, but I've never just gone up North maroon and every like every time I've hit that rock glacier like by before I've even hit it I'm just like yeah I'm excited to be done and then it seems like 12 hours later I'm only halfway through the thing like I'm still excited to be done and that that rock glacier has always been one of the most unpleasant stretches of, of any of the fourteeners that i can remember huh. whether running or hiking slowly or anything in between like it's just i don't know that terrain just bogs you down and just feels meh
2: did you bonk at all in the loop on yale and where, yeah. where did you
1: bonk if i recall i think starting back up the uh, on the ct on the east ridge side
2: oh it's real steep there from avalanche Gulch.
1: Yeah. And I mean it was it was getting hot out and I didn't have a ton of water left in me. And you know, like as I'd said, like there was a part of me that had hoped to be able to double summit Yale. I thought that'd be kind of pretty fun accomplishment for me to be able to be like, wow, I was able to pull that off. Cool." Cool. I I knew I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I would say most of that ascent was just kind of like survival mode and and you know, once I got over the pass and gravity was kind of sucking me back to my car, I mean, life was good again.
4: Hmm.
1: I mean, I I think, you know, we we all know that feeling, you know, just wanting to be done at some point, even on like those beautiful days.
2: Well, these two bonked like a mile from the car, Denny's Creek, didn't
0: you? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was a self-imposed bonk because we had, uh, we were just having such a great trip and the vibe was high and we rolled into Buena Vista a little early and decided to go have some dinner at La Herradura, ah. the Herradura in Buena Vista. And we had just this big old plate of just beans and rice and chimichangas. We both had like two of those fishbowl margaritas each, <laughs> each, and then went up and
4: slept at 10,000 feet, slept
0: at 10,000 feet, had a campfire, drank a couple more beers, and then got up at 2 30 to drive to Denny Creek and I was so hungover. It was. I think we were still maybe under the influence yeah. when we started to hike. was like a
3: great plan. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Sean would have
0: been proud. You yeah. would have really enjoyed the trip, but we didn't have breakfast. We, it was like, what not to do on all this? And um, don't underestimate those Swatch peaks. I mean, 5,000 verts, 5,000 vert, And we were, you know, two miles from the trailhead about ready to pull the plug. I mean, we were, we were Hurting. And I think it's it's a shame because it's a really beautiful mountain and beautiful climb. But um, both of us kind of that's like the one peak we both look back on negatively because it was kind of a self-imposed suffer fest.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how far can you go on just two fishbowl margaritas? <laughs> was really the question that we were asking. And the answer was not super far, not far actually. Far yeah. But
0: then you run out of margarita and you go on pure willpower, and it's pretty rewarding. <laughs> yes. So how do you fight the bonk then? Oh, so. um, Snickers bars, water, calories. Oh, probably a question for sure. If anyone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
3: thought it was. Um, what was the? What's the candy that got
0: uh, Taylor up to? Uh,
4: sour Patch Kids.
3: There we go. Sour Patch Kids. That's Force the
4: fed Sour Patch Kids. Yeah.
0: Just like a child, like leaving a. Like a trail of Sour Patch Kids. Uh, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> ooh, piece <of> candy. <laughs> ooh, <laughs> sour Patch Kids. Ooh, sour Patch Kids. Before was, she knew it, she was on the summit. Yep,
4: that was me on La Plata, <laughs> and that was me on Yale.
0: I do want to hear uh, Ultra Sean's remedy yeah. for bonk, though. By the
1: way, you invited someone who's who's undiagnosed but severe ADHD. It's been that way my whole life, and like I went off in one other direction when you guys were talking about um, how your experience may shape the story of the peak in your head more than the peak itself does. Yeah. I just, I just do want to say that on Yale, I have some pretty fond memories because A, uh, my first time up Yale was, was with my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our very first dates, I think our second one. Oh
4: my God. And
1: I thought it was a date. She didn't at the time, so, but we, <laughs> we worked that out. And that was... My son was maybe a fifth or sixth grader, and that was kind of a proud daddy moment when, when we did East Ridge uh, as a spring climb and oh, nice. met up with a 14ers crew. I think they were doing the spring gathering out there and just getting to work on self arrest and things like that with an ice axe with him and just see how he handled that. And uh, I was a proud dad moment. So, like, because of those two moments, uh, Yale has kind of got some, I guess, fond you know, places in That's the heart. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even really matter what the peak is. It's like, what was your experience on it? So right. totally. Right. Uh, the bonking, right. Okay. So I can speak from uh, for, for a marathon. Let's, let's, let's start with, with a little bit of physiology without like putting everyone to sleep here. if You're running a mile or a 5k or a 10k you don't need to eat anything. You don't really even need to like drink anything unless you're actually walking the whole thing. You get to the half marathon distance, you've got enough glycogen stored in your body that you don't need any calories. You're probably going to need to hydrate a little bit along the way, but you're fine. It's at about you know 2000 calories expended hmm. most of the way through marathon distance where your body gets to a point where you need to find a way to put some into you. Oh, do we, do we have a story
0: here God, you said two thousand calories expended and i said that's a 5k for me
1: <laughs> but uh it, 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 and again like this is rough science it's about 100 calories per mile regardless of pace give huh. or take. So, really yeah yeah i mean it, it's a very loose loose calculation and you can train yourself to spare glycogen a little more but Point being the marathon is about the first distance where you actually have to ingest calories in order to successfully complete it. You don't have to, it can get pretty interesting and, and (laughs) ultra runners are good at like doing non-interesting things like seeing what it's like to run a marathon without having any calories. Um, Yes. 50 mile um, 26 mile distance generally if you're not careful, the wheels could fall off and that crash, that bonk sucks. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's something you never want to repeat. Ultra marathons. That's not the question. The question is when do you get your bonk and how many of them are you going to get hmm. and how quickly do you come out of them? And essentially, a skill set that is involved in successful ultra running. Is a skill set that has nothing to do with running and everything to do with being able to digest food while moving forward. Wow. And that's not a skill set that you grow up knowing whether you have or not, you know. So I've seen some really elite, like you know, college stud 10K runners that can like qualify for the Olympic trail trials in the marathon. They can't be ultra runners because their body's digestive systems shut down even at slow paces and they just can't replenish calories Hmm. and they're screwed. Wow! hundred mile becomes even more so. And actually that was a little bit of my problem. My, and my O for one was I can slowly digest a few calories at a slow enough pace, but not enough to maintain. Hmm. And I've noticed that in the mountains too. Like it's funny, like when you move, Quickly, or at least my experience ha- has always been that I'll move as, as you know, more quickly than most people. Even if like it's a leisurely day, if it's if I'm just on my own, not hanging out with friends, but I still run into the same horrible, terrible feelings at the same amount of time. Mm. So, you know, like a, a, a 14 or a 16 hour day is pretty horrible. Like regardless of how much distance you cover an 18 or 20 hour day becomes that epic that you tell your grandchildren, you know, uh, again, the distance doesn't matter. The, the amount of time that you're out there seems to really affect just like how you feel uh, at Yale. I think I went pretty light cause I was trying to, I don't know, train that system, train my body to use a little more fat and a little less glycogen. So I believe all I had was a handheld, full of water. that I refilled one time with some tablets. Really? Uh,
2: yeah. No yep. backpack and no, no cliff bars, no
1: jelly beans. No, 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 no. I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. I did have a small, a very small pack on that one, but I had virtually nothing in it. It was, it was very light. It was very light.
3: So how, how and, much of this uh, ultra marathon stuff is genetics and how much of it is training? Cause it seems like,
1: I mean, you can train past a certain amount of the genetics, right? Absolutely, I would say most of it is is training, and honestly, it's I don't even know. It, it's a weird skill set. There's the nutrition piece, and then there's just the I guess the perseverance piece, and, and your physical stature doesn't matter as much in an ultra as it does in like the five k, ten k, half marathon, marathon like i've seen dude's bigger than any of you complete 100 milers well because right oh my yes yes <laughs> and and it's more a, a matter of can you you know metabolize food while moving wow. and are you able to just go into a dark place and handle it for a very long time i mean that's the skill set it's not much about running
4: i have met a man who has done the tahoe 200 and he was going, he was going to do it for the third time. And Mm -hmm. I remember asking him, Oh, the Tahoe 200, that must be like a bicycle race. Like you must be on a bicycle. And he was like, no, it's the Tahoe 200 is like a running race, like foot race. And I could not actually comprehend. And we, we had, I chatted with him for just a little bit and he's like, Oh yeah. When you get tired, you just curl up on the side of the trail and you take like a tiny micro nap and then you just get up and do it again. And I'm like, for 200 miles, this is what you do. And you've downed on this almost three times. And I mean, he turned sideways and he was just invisible. But other than that, he was a very normal human being. Seemingly. I mean, it was, yeah. Normal on the outside. It was just incredible. I've never met anybody like that.
0: So, Sean, I, while we're on the, the ultra running topic, I do want to ask kind of one rabbit trail question, but I'm always curious which camp people fall in because I, uh, a little while back, read the book Born to Run. And of course, for me, it was super pivotal and kind of changed my life at the time, got me into running. And that kind of started this whole barefoot running or minimalist movement that 12 years ago, people, you know, religiously follow. Totally. And now you see everybody in their Hoka maximalist shoes. I have utilized and seen benefits from both. I like to run with minimal issues to strengthen my feet. And then on bigger, mild days, use my Hoka's Where do you fall on that and kind of what's your viewpoints?
1: Right. So depends on the event at hand, but something interesting you just said, I also like to, in a perfect world, everyone has like a hundred thousand pairs of running shoes. I'm halfway there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they're just alternating them based on what they have to. I like to use the Hoka's and the, the really padded ones for like easy recovery mileage. Okay. Longer days. Uh, I prefer like the more minimal minimalist. Uh, not never to the point of like the what were those things the, the Vibrams. Uh, I was never down with those, but uh, to this day, like when I'm in the mountains, I wear trail runners. Matter of fact, in a second here, I'm going to go grab a pair that I usually use. Uh, there's a brand called Innovate. They're they're a trail running shoe, and they're generally very minimal, somewhat minimalist. Are they zero dry? Uh some are, but most of them are more like three millimeter, six millimeter. I don't I, pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. They're 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 fairly low, but they're not zero. I, I think you're kind of given a set of constraints genetically that you need to honor at least a little bit.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And the I love Born to Run myself and, and I think there's a lot of philosophical wisdom in there. Totally. Including the idea that you should push for minimalism in not just your running shoes, but in in some aspects of life. I think That's so good. It, it serves us well to go down that path, right? But you know, I, I do remember as a, a new coach back then, kind of freaking out over oh my gosh, everyone's gonna start running, you know, all these miles and like barefoot and they're gonna end up and in, in broken and I think it's not something you should just be like just jumping into and it takes a long period of time to kind of adapt yeah. to whatever you're walking in running in and heck I mean as, as we said before it extends way beyond just shoes totally
0: that's great advice and that's really good advice really good and I advice. appreciate the insight you know and and one thing I found kind of a happy medium on, you know, when I first read the book, I was running in the Warachi sandals and super into it, and then then the Hokas, but Taylor and I have really gotten into our um, ultras, and I know that's what Chris runs into. It's zero drop, little bit of cushion, wide toe box, and I think that's going to be our footwear of choice for the 14ers this summer. You see a lot of them on through hikes, and a lot of them on, I you know, saw a guy on maroon in them, so they're good shoes. I'm always just curious, people that rack up miles like you, kind of what's on your feet, because that's your... Point of contact with the ground is I'm important.
1: Right. I'm still here just grabbing the shoe.
4: <laughs> I want to see his shoe. And ask him when the last time he bought it was.
0: Trying to make me feel bad for my addiction. <laughs>
4: no.
1: <laughs> I'm
4: trying to see how much, right. how often. Let's see it.
1: All right. So it actually looks beefier than it really is, but pretty flexible. Uh this is what I dig the most, like. Their sole is not, or their uh, tread is not super aggressive, but okay. I mean, this is essentially the tread I took up Wham Ridge.
0: Oh, okay. So it could be because- On the podcast. needle,
1: on the peak, like wherever.
0: So we're audio only. So for our, our listeners, we oh, describe oops. what shoe that is and what model?
1: Oh, yeah. I was hoping you weren't going to ask me for the specifics. All I know is it's one of the Innovates, probably their, their Trail Rock okay. model. Uh, It's similar to their old rock light models. And yeah, I just like them because they're fairly light, but not like ultralight. They're getting towards minimalist without being completely minimalist. I don't wear them for everything that I do. And if I were to spend days in the mountains, I'd probably wear these for two days, switch out to something a little more cushiony for a day and then back to these. Uh, I do like this on, on anything somewhat technical. I've never brought, you know, like approach shoes or climbing shoes for any climbs I've ever done in the mountains. I've always just made sure that I've got a new pair or a newer pair of one of these things. And they've always, always served me well. I've never worn hiking boots. I've even tried to, to, to cramp on up with things like this. And, and, and I can't say it worked very well, but yeah.
2: the. <laughs> In Born to Run Again, they talk about the history of the Leadville 100. And the inventor, you know, Leadville was dying because of the lead to my 100-mile race, right? And, and the one quote he says, he says, make friends with pain and you'll never be alone. How do you make friends with pain? How do you get to that space where that exa- exa- exertion comfort feels good? Is it an endorphin high? Is it a headspace mentally?
1: You're familiar with type 1 and type 2 fun, right? I you always say type 2. Yeah, We're, Type two connoisseurs. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, running the the later stages of anything like that is essentially type two fun. You know that when you look back, you're going to be like, I did that. And that's kind of a cool feeling. You know, like I don't even know if the word is accomplishment. It just feels good to test yourself Mm -hmm. and see what you're able to endure, what you're able to tolerate. I, I found that it's served me well in other endeavors in life. Like if I've got a stack of TPS reports or whatever I've got to get through, you know, like knowing that this is finite. And when I'm done with this, I'll feel better. You can do
4: hard things.
1: Yeah. One. Yeah. It, it, I'm not even sure if that's conscious when you're doing them. There's definitely points in time where you do question, what the May I? what the yeah yeah yeah. What the, hell? yeah yeah what the fuck am i doing like you can't help but think those things you know and you'll 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 have that phrase going on loop in your head for like an hour straight as you're just like looking for a place to like hide or an excuse like maybe an eagle will come and like wrap <laughs> yeah. just grab my head off of me and i'll have an excuse to say i didn't finish this stupid thing huh.
3: What what mentally what mental shift do you have to do to make that work in your head? I always
0: go back to this this image that my dad gave me as a little kid of the, your new bar being set like a high jumper, where oh. if you've done 15 miles and you do 18 and it sucks, well, guess what? You know you can do 18 and that's your new bar. I learned that when I was 10 years old. I wanted a new pair of snowshoes for Christmas. And I got him. And then like January 7th, I was like, dad, let's go do beer stat. And he's like, as you wish. So we did. <laughs> it was like negative wind chill; Nobody was out there. This was in like the early 2000s. You were
4: little. I was little. And, I, little. and I'm at like
0: 13,000 feet and I'm crying and tears are freezing to my face. And I remember my dad turning to me and going like, you can do this and this will be your new bar. That's cool. And like, and, and my bar was set there as a 10 year old kid. And That's awesome. I love you, that story. you you breach into that type two fun territory, you're just moving your bar a little higher, a little higher, and then you know, you can do it. So that's where I get gratification is not like, well, when I get back at the car, that's going to feel really good. But like, I, I like to collect new high points on my bar.
4: That's so interesting that you say that because I have felt that with like the Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle that we talked about, about the, our big first, you know, one day push where it really felt to me like, that was the hardest thing or one of the hardest things that I've done physically. And now that that's my new bar, everything else gets gauged against that bar where I'm like, Oh, can I do the class four route on Kit Carson challenger? Maybe
0: like one. And and even today we were talking to somebody in Jackson, we're thinking about going to do the grand and he's like, do you want to do the one day or the two day? The one day is almost 8,000 vert. And Last year, we'd been like, no way. Now it's like, well, we know Taylor can do that because she's done it really the whole time she's been able to do it. Now we just know because we've set the bar there.
4: Because, yeah, that's my new bar. It makes me feel better. Yeah.
0: But it is, it's, it's
3: fascinating. Like, you know, animals wouldn't operate like that, right? I mean, a, a wolf would not like push themselves past the point of discomfort to keep going unless they had to. Mm. But humans
1: yeah. seem to thrive on it. Yep. Like, we seek it like, out. It's really yep. messed up. So I have a term for it. I call it deathbed fodder. Death deathbed and fodder. Fodder, yeah. The idea is this. There's going to be a day where I'm just sitting there decrepit, maybe in a nursing home, maybe in my house, maybe in the hospital, who knows where. And I won't be able to go anywhere or do anything. And hopefully I've got some things to pull back on be like, oh yeah, yeah, hey, I did that. That was that's, pretty cool. Hey, I did this. That was pretty cool. Hey. And if, if the bank of like all of those bar raising moments, like can keep my brain happy enough to be like, yeah, I guess I wasn't just a complete pile during my time here. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm good going guys. See ya.
3: You know, like okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I like that idea because you know, that. animals apparently, I don't know, but you know, they they say that animals don't have an understanding that they will die. They're just in the moment. (laughs) So if if we think that one of the things that makes us human is that we have an understanding of our mortality then maybe that deathbed fodder, maybe that's why we do this stuff. Like, Mm. okay, we know we're going to die on that moment of our deathbed. Is that why we push ourselves so much when we're 30 years old to be able to look back and say, I did that. Mm. I pushed my limits of that experience.
2: Hmm. You should put that in your hat band. I like that, and this is the new bar. Yeah, I like that. Because I, I put, I have I like a hat. It. I got a custom hat. And I put the Leadville, Leadville, uh, make fenders pain. You'll never be alone. Quote in my hat. But when I say pain, it's more like exertion. I like the term exertion discomfort. The idea that you're pushing yourself, and it's not quite like pain, but it's like uncomfortable. And I could rant all day about how the new generation doesn't ever get to those exertion discomfort moments
0: no that's totally it i i think that's really insightful sean and we i don't know that we need a psychologist i think that's a like i think hitting that's the it. nail on yeah, the head totally. for
2: sure yeah i want to talk a little bit about quincy's <laughs> we, we talk about our east ridge experience because oh, yeah it's one of my favorites i watched for 14 years one, one of my top five probably we did it in january
3: so I, I i'll i'll say my story and you can edit it as you wish but so we, we tried to do Yale with a big group of guys from the University of Denver economics master's program. And it was a total failure. Like we went up, we, we were heading towards the wrong peak. Mascot. The whole time we were like, we got into, we were, we had snowshoes, I think, right? Didn't we? Yeah. Steph? But we, we were like, you know, sink, even with snowshoes, we were sinking like three feet down into powder snow. And it was just like, horrible experience so we got to a certain point it was like yeah there's no way we're going to make this peak today so we like stopped we we, we all had uh, brought some beers up we some crack open beers and our friend up do you remember this is my favorite like outdoor shitting story you might have to edit this for the uh, <laughs> uh, consumption of the the podcast we had coffee like had a thermos of coffee like a half hour before and then we stopped to have a beer and he's like I've got to chit. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, here's some toilet paper. Like, you know, it's snow. Here's a trowel. Go knock yourself out. And rather than like walking like 40 yards away or 30 yards away, as one would expect, he like took two steps and leaned up against a tree and just like shit, like right next to we, we the rest were of us.
2: we we three were sitting on a log and he wasn't even past <gasps> the end of the log. We were sitting on no. <laughs>
3: That's, so that's one memory I have for me, Al. and then I went back the next week and I did and I did it from Denny Creek, and it's it was horrible. It was like whiteout conditions. I was alone, like there's no one to exper- to like share the experience with of like the wind and everything. And then a few weeks later, um, Sarah and I went back into the East Ridge, and that was like I, I still think that's one of my maybe top five or at least top 10, if not top five, 14 In
2: January summit was no wind.
3: Yeah. And it was just, that was amazing. And, you know, you go up this like Rocky Ridge it and then coming it 13, down. So it was amazing, amazing hike. And then coming down, I think, I th- we should have stayed on the Ridge proper. And I think we, we veered off to the um, East side a little bit and then we got on some like, you know, loose beautiful. rock and other things. But the best thing was, like, we, we get to the saddle, like, of the East Ridge, and we're like, okay, home free, it's just like this hike out now. And it, the sun's starting to set, and I turned to him, and we'd only discovered the, the restaurant Quincy's in Leadville, like, a few months before. <laughs> and he was obsessed with it, and I turned to him, like, when the sun's setting, and I was like, you know, Stiff, I don't think we're going to make it to Quincy's before they close. I don't think we're going to get our prime rip tonight. And it was like, he he shifted into the fifth gear mentally and he started sprinting. I, I could not keep up with him the whole way out. He was like sprinting. I could see his headlamp bouncing from like, you know, like little hill to little hill. And I was like, I was going as fast as I could. And he was still like going past me. We finally made it to a trailhead, got to his vehicle. We drove up to, uh, to towards Leadville and that's when we, remember we hit, we think we hit that like porcupine or whatever the hell it was in the road. <laughs> and that was, the, that was, that was the Elbert trip. That was not Elbert trip. Oh, was it the Elbert trip? Anyway. But we get, we get to the Quincy's at like
0: 58
3: and they close at 10. And we like walk in and we must've looked just horrible, haggard, everything. We're like, please. Are you guys, is, is the kitchen still open? And the, like, I think the waitress was so shocked at how we looked. She was like, uh. Yeah, why don't you guys take a seat? We'll <laughs> she thought you were going to like murder gonna, her if you said She said no. <laughs> that night. That's my favorite memory from yes. Yale ever. We had
2: snowshoes. And it, was like, it was like a hawk. You know, the hawk can just run giant leaps. With those snowshoes, you can just, with the soft powder, you can just stride. Yeah. But then then remember we, went, we were so wet and we went to, we had a hotel in Buena Vista and we were so kind of cold and chilled to the bone and wet that we jacked up the heater as high as it went and then just well, first, first,
3: we took baths. Remember, we took like super hot baths. Wow. Okay, <laughs> not together, sure. <laughs> but we took like hot water baths, and like we were still shivering. We were so cold. And then Sips was like, well, "Let's just turn the heat way up." And we say so, "Crank that, crank that thing up to like I don't know, 120 degrees." Hampton Inn, from Benavista. <laughs> and at, at 2 a.m., we woke up just like sweating. <laughs> like, sweat.
4: Wow. Yeah.
1: He's also Meets one of my favorites yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Sean, here's a question for you on that. Obviously, one of your favorite climbs, favorite moments, yes? How much of that was set up by your unsuccessful attempts in the previous weeks? And did it make the up and down and subsequent hotel escapades that much more sweet? Or was, was it just encapsulated beautifully on its own?
3: I, I think on that one, it was encapsulated on its own. You know, Stifler and I had just started hiking together. That was like our, I don't know. like my
2: fourth 14er.
3: Yeah, third or fourth. And, and so we're it like, it was a good bonding experience. The weather was awesome. The views were awesome. So I think on that one, it, I would say it was like on its own would have been a perfect thing. I think there's other 14 ers where it's like humble the, like failing previously makes it sweeter like humble peak for example that's that's like our like bet noir as you say in french um that one it was made sweeter by failing at it a couple of times but i think that yale experience was more about just like what it was was just a really great experience you know those you get those magical days where it's like the weather's good and the experience is good and you have good company the and the conversation's good and yeah i think that's what what that was about my, my trip report, that
2: that the character on that east ridge where you get to 134 or whatever that little peak is really kind of jagged jagged for a regular sawatch range 14er and i remember um just speaking of like you mentioned Glad, gladback there was also dances with moonlight we lo- that we lost he always commented yep. on people's trip reports that were just really positive going back and yes. looking at the yale trip report dances with moonlight or dances at moonlight is that he had commented and said jim yeah awesome yeah. Trip report east ridge the fact that you said that it has a lot of character that's so cool or, or something like that he was just very reaffirmed never met him but he was just a very very nice person through the
1: forum i've got a great secondhand story about that man i remember i remember this about him just because like our circles overlap just a little bit, but like, you know, Brit and those guys, uh, Terry Matthews, no longer with us. Man, there's 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 a list, by the way. That's that's probably a whole set of podcasts for you guys. Mm-hmm. But um, he was a very accomplished rock climber and pretty fearless for the most part, anywhere in the mountains, like willing to do whatever. But he had this creepy, crazy aversion to snow. Huh. And yet he was, you know, he was going to push his calendar winter 14er list as as hard as he possibly could. (laughs) And he had gotten about as far as he could go without, you know, having to change his underwear all the time, like 25 in. He's like, you know, there's a lot of risk here. I don't know if I'm down for it. And then he got his diagnosis. Mm. And uh, just what I've heard from the guys that climbed with him that winter, like, he turned to the most fearless man in the universe. He's like, huh. "Oh, we got to cross this. We got to go one by one. I'll lead. I'll lead." <laughs> and hmm. I don't know. It was just one of those interesting things. Like, how would a diagnosis like that, or how would knowing that I've got X amount of time change huh. my behavior at like this lizard brain level, where you know, like if you're scared of avalanche and all of a sudden something can lift that fear off of you or if you're scared of spiders and suddenly no big deal because something else like what powerful stuff yeah. and i don't know why but that that sticks with me about his his you know mm-hmm. his last months that 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 was something where he was just so emboldened and became so selfless for the guys he climbing with, he's like, no, let, let me do it, man. What's the worst that's going to happen. I'll just roll up in a ball. And I guess I end this thing a little sooner. Cool. Wow.
4: wow. Hmm.
3: So they, I don't know, how, you know, um, Sean, do you, do you rock climb or not?
1: I suck at tying knots guys.
3: <laughs>
1: okay. I like, suck at tying knots and I don't like to carry a lot of weight.
3: So, so when I moved from Colorado to Utah, I started doing rope climbing more. And so I got a mountain project, which is like the rope climbing website. Right. Yep. And uh, mountain project, like it doesn't matter what you post on there. It can be the most like benign, benign thing. People just like go out of the woodwork to attack you. Hmm. That was a cool thing. I always thought about 14 years.com and people like, you know, Terry Matthews and, you know, dances with Moonline, all, all these guys, uh, Steve Gladback, same thing. It's like you'd post something on there, and like rather than being dicks, it'd just be really encouraging. Like, even if you were a stupid newcomer, like, hey, I climbed like Gray's Peak for the first time, and I'm like this awesome mountaineer. If you would have posted that on a mountain project, people would be like, you're total, you're an inexperienced you like, you have no business being in the mountains, da da da. But on 14 erscom these guys would be like, they'd say, like, that's awesome keep going. Like they'd be so encouraging. And that's what, like, you keep hearing these rumors, but like, Oh, 14 years.com is dying because of Facebook or, uh, you know, TikTok or LinkedIn, whatever the hell <laughs> social media thing. it always breaks my heart when I hear that because like for me, 14 years.com was this safe space where you could like quiet brag about your achievements and not get knocked down hmm. by them. And most of the other forums that are out there is like, you put something like, hey, I, I climbed Capital. And like Mountain Project, they'd be like, oh, that's like a, like, it's not even a five, you know, class five climb. That's stupid anyway. Why would you do it? But on 14 years, like people would be like encouraging. And I love that about 14ers.com. That's why I hope, that, you know, that website never goes away because I think it's like the, the community of 14ers.com is just amazing from that perspective there's there's very few like negative uh, snarky comments that you get on that website there are a few granted but like most of them are pretty encouraging mm-hmm. so and i think and i think people I like steve potback dances with the uh, moonrise were responsible for that
1: yep
0: what a yep. legacy for those guys to leave pretty cool
1: yep
3: but you know looking back the, like all the stupid shit like when we were inexperienced like I'm amazed we didn't die. Some of the stuff we did early on.
1: You're hitting the nail on the head right here. And I think this comes back to the community. Almost everyone that spends time on those boards has this story, has done the stupid thing. Mm-hmm. Not once, not twice, maybe 10 times. Mm-hmm. And no longer carries the arrogance of thinking they know best. Like, sure. Uh-huh. Hey man, like mm-hmm. i got plenty of things I could, help you with but you kind of need to go through some of the shit on your own mm-hmm. and when when the, the only thing i'm going to try and keep you in check on is is when you come around and tell me like this is how you like we, we reach this point of arrogance generally around i don't know peak five or ten where we know the rules which is never summit afternoon and never carry less than this much water and never like all of these things that we soon learn are like, yeah, depending on when, depending on how you can you can work on these things. But you know, like you run into this guy, the guy that like tries to turn you around. Oh, it's too late. You shouldn't be out here, <laughs> dude. It's 9am and I'm going to be on the summit in 45 minutes. I don't have a walker like you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> We, I, I see this with so many of us where we reach this point of like over arrogance about our abilities and our knowledge of what we're doing and we start just scolding everyone else and then as we continue to climb more and more peaks it's like uh, man I hope it works out for them but you know they got to learn a few of these lessons on their own and there's, there's nicer ways to communicate those things. Steve was very good at that. Terry for as cold and prickly as he could be on his bad days knew that other people had to learn those things as well.
4: So, wow. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that. So what would you recommend if you had to do Yale again? Get some recommendations at the end of your trip report. I, I think I, if I had to do it again, I would shuttle it. I think I would, I would. I never did Denny Creek. My mom and I hiked the first quarter mile. We were driving back from Crested Butte and there's great Aspen's right there. So we just took mm-hmm. some photos and, but uh, I think I'd do Denny Creek back down the East Ridge if I could shuttle.
1: I'd, I'd, I'd reverse that. Yeah.
2: But the, Denny's Creek starts 600 feet higher, so you'd say 600 feet (laughs) a That was my reason. But but I've, I've, I've gone up the East Ridge already.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know, like, yeah, if you have the ability to shuttle, like, the thing I try and tell most anyone that is doing a peak for the first time is, you know, like, if you wait until you're comfortable doing that peak, it opens up options. Uh, For instance, I mean, I I hate to keep pulling it away from Yale, but I think Snuffles would be a great example. No one in their right mind should ever touch Lavender Call. It sucks. And if you have done something like Crestone Peak, Crestone Needle, like there's no reason you shouldn't spend a few, like an extra hour or two, go up Blue Lakes, hit that pass there and do the Southwest Ridge and have a beautiful, wonderful experience instead of the Easiest possible craptacular routes, uh, Vestal Peak. There were some people like we had like keep Brit from saying let's just go up. You know the South Face. They call it the Dues Collector. They call it the Dues Collector because huh. Wham Ridge is of every climb I've done in the state of Colorado. It is untouchable. It is amazing. It is a must do. It is otherworldly. It's the best climb in the state of Colorado, in my opinion. But coming back down that South side of it it's just kind of gross and a little steep and hurts your quads and there's loose stuff so you have to be paying attention like all the dues collectors you're paying your dues for the amazing climb you got before I would just say get to a point where you're not testing your limits on a peak so that you can choose the coolest best most interesting most beautiful route instead of gosh what's the quickest way up this one
0: that's so good yeah
1: that's great, advice. I think that comes
0: into play. I mean, you mentioned the Sneffels example, which Southwest Ridge is probably number one or two on my list of favorite routes ever. But I think, especially in the Sawatch, that comes into play because there are so many non standard optional routes that are like cool, but a little past the comfort zone of most people maybe a little too much verb, maybe a couple class three moves. There's so many options. Would you guys agree? Totally.
4: I would say that would be something that I would do differently. If we were going to do Yale again,
0: one margarita was one margarita <laughs> instead
4: of two. That would be a big, big portion of it. And I think like you said, you know, so much about the peak is how you approach it mentally. And, um, when I think when you're hung over and you're a mile in and you're like, damn it should not have done that. Um, that would have been a change, I think for sure. Cause I, everything I've heard is that it's amazing peak and for me it was quite a suffer fest yeah and i've done way worse suffer fests and that's the thing it was just the mental state that i was in made it that way
1: it's a good lesson but you raised your bar you did. Nice. Oh, nice. Nice.
4: two margarita bar <laughs>
1: yes.
0: now you know it can be done <laughs> <Lightweight, baby>. <laughs> <laughs> that's good